Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows to Make It Happen Monday. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I'm very excited to have my guest on here today for a lot of different reasons. I think we're going to cover a lot of different topics today. Uh, the company that he works for is a very strategic partner of mine. Sean Fowler, what's going on, my friend over at Sales Loft? How you been, my friend? Good, good, John. I'm excited to be on the show. I'm a huge fan of the show, actually, so it's pretty exciting to be on this. Um, yeah, things are great. Things are fantastic. Yeah, Sean, tell everybody what you do, what you're doing over. Well, first of all, how long you've been over at Sales Loft uh, and what you've been up to over there um, with them? Yeah, I, uh, I joined Sales Loft in February of 2018, so it's been close to a year and a half now, um, and it's been incredibly busy. When I when I joined, I think we were around employee number 200, and now we're I think approaching 450. I just had 19 people in sales onboarding for our May cohort finished. So uh, we've been we've been really busy. <laughs> Sounds like it. And and why? Let me. I always find this interesting. Right? Um, I talk about questions like you know asking pleasure and pain questions. And I always used to ask the question like how long, right? That's kind of a check it out on LinkedIn, whatever. But but my fa- my better question now is like why'd you choose to work at Sales Life? Like what was one of the things that drove you to to make the choice at this stage of your career to come uh, to head over to Sales Life? Yeah, there's actually I have a really good story around that too because I did it on purpose, right? Like I, at Sales Loft, I, I'm in sales enablement and I have been for a while. And I at Sales Loft get to train salespeople to sell sales software to other salespeople, which is about as meta sales as it can get, right? And I and I love it because I I love sales and I love studying sales and I love seeing what works, and I also love watching people be better. And, and before I joined Sales Loft, I was at IBM. And I had, on paper, I had like a great position. Like I'd kind of reached the point you want to reach in sales enablement. I had 50-something people on my team. I was responsible for sales worldwide for our business unit. I had a budget. I had managers under me. Some of those managers had managers under them. And I left to come to sales loft where I had one employee. Right. But, <laughs> but the truth is I waited for it. Like when Kyle first started sales loft back in the, in the prospector days, I remember uh, seeing him on LinkedIn and I had some people who knew Kyle and uh, it just looked like there was something special going on there. And then as I began to meet more and more people who worked there, I realized like this, this was real and it was, it was the next evolution in sales. In my opinion, you know, I, I used to, I worked at a company called silver pop, which sold email marketing and then, marketing automation. And I got to watch that space grow and evolve and mature and then become commoditized and become commonplace in, a, in the marketing world. And I, I see sales loft as, as the next thing, right? Where that's, that's happening with the, the sales world. It's, it's revolutionizing literally the way salespeople conduct their, their day-to-day lives. And I think that's really exciting. The other reason though is um, it's culture. I mean, I, everybody, everybody has a shitty day at work sometimes, but if you absolutely love the people you have a shitty day with it makes everything a lot better, you know? I, yeah. And that's because I was going to bring that back to, you saw Kyle right? and I think, you know, so I met Kyle way, way back in the day um, <clears throat> when, when he was doing the prospector thing and actually one of the kids that I trained uh, sent him a why you, why you now email, like one of the emails that we used to focus the majority of our time on. And he got back and, and Kyle was so impressed. He wrote a blog post about it. And said, "Hey, this is one of the best sales emails I've ever read." And the kid was so amped that he sends it. He said, "John, check it out. This email that I sent to that CEO got like he actually wrote a blog post about it." So I reached out to Kyle. I was like, "Yo, what's up?" 
I was like, that kid who sent you that email that you wrote that blog post about, I trained him how to do that. You want to train him? <laughs> um, my own why you, why you now back to him. But, uh, but it, but I, Kyle's always struck me as, is, you know, I've always said if there's one company that I'd, I'd ever go work for again, which I probably won't, but, uh, but if there is, cause I'm that big of a pain in the ass, it'd be sales <laughs> because it's the, the culture, right? I mean, I do agree in the space right now and it's a hot space and, and, and all that stuff. But to me, culture matters most and, and the people you surround yourself matter with the most. So. Well, let me, let me give you a quick example. I don't want to get yeah. like off, off topic or anything, yeah. but. I started February 12th, 2018, right? The, the week after I started was our sales kickoff. Yeah. <laughs> I gave a presentation to our sales kickoff. The day that I started, actually, they came to me with kind of the new um, first call deck, right? Just like a short deck to go through to kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about and ask for help on it. And I got to, got to shape uh, what that story was going to be. And then a few weeks later, it was going to be Rainmaker. Three weeks after I started, it was going to be Rainmaker, which is our customer conference. And they yeah. wanted everybody to be certified on the new messaging for Rainmaker. And I was like, okay, now I've, I've done certifications plenty of times before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a very effective way to do things, but you also kind of have to, uh, keep those in your pocket and use them strategically because there's a certain amount of tolerance that a sales team is going to have for that. And, uh, I was impressed. I mean, I was this new person coming in, like I, I had never sold sales off before. Um, and the team just did it. And there was like, there was no real complaining. There was no, no real pushback. They just did it and they did it well. And they took criticism and feedback. And some of them, I made them do it two or three times before they finally got it to where I wanted it to be. And uh, I've never experienced that before. And when you, when you have a good culture, you have trust and you have people who are willing to do more because they believe in themselves and they believe in each other and they trust that you're trying to do the right thing for them. And it's, it's unstoppable when you have something like that. Yeah. I mean, I would say with, with, if you ever want to get somebody to, to do more than what they're asked to do uh, their job, right. What's on their job description. If they don't feel a part of something bigger, you'll never get, you know what I mean? If they don't believe in the vision, if they don't believe in where things are going uh, and that they have a piece in that, then they'll just do their job. Right. That's why I, you know, I used to work at Xerox, you used to work at IBM. I, the thing with that was, and, and again, great companies, but I always felt like at Xerox, no matter how hard I worked, no matter what I did, I wasn't going to move that, that stock price more than 0.001%. And if I left, there'd be somebody coming in backfilling me that was probably, you know, maybe as good or a little bit less, but it didn't really matter all that much, which is why when I kind of really got into startups and, and kind of the SMB space, I, I, I loved it because it was, you could see the difference you're making. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, genuinely say like, Hey, I closed that deal. And therefore we as a company hit our target and therefore we got that next round of fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. And also you close that deal, which means that the next deal that looks like that doesn't look impossible now. Right. Because other people see that this is possible too. Right. Like it's, it's just incredible. The influence you can have on other people in a company like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a good transition as far as influence is concerned, because because with our conversation, you know, you got a, you got a pretty interesting background, man. You know, you know, you got your Ph.D. Uh, you know, then you I think it's so were you in a sales engineer at Silver Pop? Yeah, that's how I got into sales. Um, yeah. I started out. I was a trainer at Silver Pop initially. Before that, I'd, I'd done Alzheimer's research. I literally. No way. Yeah, I had I had no idea. I'd never worked for a company before. I'd always worked for academic institutions. Yeah. Um, and I, I was on a grant 
and my grant was about to run out. And they were actually going to start a startup based on the research I'd been doing in Alzheimer's, but I'd just gotten married. I just bought a house. We wanted to start a family. And like, it was like, I probably need like insurance and, <laughs> and stability. Um, so I, I ended up working at Silverpop and I was hired as a trainer to train mostly the technical stuff because I have a web programming background. Okay. And uh, I didn't understand anything about marketing. I definitely didn't understand anything about digital marketing. But I, I jumped in and had to learn how to use our product. And I taught live probably eight to 10 kind of online webinars per week. Right. And then I created a bunch of uh, interactive web-based training as well. And what was really interesting is when you, when you, when you teach that many classes and we were teaching marketers, they are asking questions about how to use your product to solve problems. And then after a while, you've helped them solve enough problems that you begin to develop some expertise in marketing. And then after like a year of that, you become an expert at digital marketing because you've helped all these different people solve their problems. Um, and so when I, when I got into sales engineering, which was kind of, kind of on accident, I had a friend who had moved from, from training to sales engineering. And he was like, you should, you should really be a sales engineer. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think I want to be in sales because I had this image of what sales was. And yeah. it meant that you were an asshole. And I was like, I don't think I'm an asshole. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> um, but, but I walked by the director of sales engineering's office. And uh, I said, hey, I hear you're hiring sales engineers. I'd, I'd like to talk to you about it sometime if you get the chance. And he was like, I just offered the job to somebody this morning. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if you're hiring in the future, just let me know. And I'd like to talk to you about it. And he said, let me know by lunch. And the, the job is yours. <laughs> so, I, so I went to lunch right. with my wife that day. And I was like, I think I'm in sales now. <laughs> and, uh, and I never looked back. I fell in love with it pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, and then got to have a variety of different sales and sales leadership and sales enablement jobs. And it's, it's who I am now. It's, it's what I do. I love it. So your perspective here is, is interesting to me as far as academic, we were talking about this before we got on, um, academics and, and why sales has historically not been taught in school, right? What, what do you see as the difference of how sales reps learn versus how the academic world teaches everybody else, right? Because I think, you know, one of the things that we, when it comes to trainers, right, I it's always, you always hear the adage, it's always easy to te- tell people how to do this stuff than it is to do it. So most sales trainers I come across are either failed sales professionals or professional presenters, where they tell people, and it sounds really good, but realistically, it doesn't. And so, you know, I think historically, it's been the practitioners in sales that are the best teachers in sales. Mm-hmm. So why, so what do you see as the difference, right? And And one more caveat to this, I'll give you an example, like, and this is pure ignorance on my part. I'm just going to admit that up front. When, when I put my content together, I put it together like Hoffman and Basho. And so I kind of followed his guide because I liked that, that it connected with me about how I learned and, and doing things and tactical stuff. And then kind of, I went off on my own and I took my content and I kept bumping up against sales enablement people. And their first question to me would be, uh, so is it, uh, d- does it follow in- instructional design, you know, stuff? And I, and I'd be like, uh, well, no. And, and back a few years back, that was, that was an important thing, like instructional design. And so I was like, okay. So I got some instructional designer to take my content and put it through the ins- instructional design stuff, whatever the fuck it is. 
and I fucking hated it. I literally <laughs> hated it. I was just like, I looked at the manual. I was like, this is shit. I looked at the way they cut every, I'm like, this is awful. And so I, you know, out of the five grand that I spent to have them do it, I, I just, I basically ignored it completely. So help me understand why it, 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 you know, the historical educational academia is having such a hard time understanding how to connect and train sales professionals in a, in a, in a university setting. Yeah. So I think, I think there are a few reasons and I, and I think some of it's changing too. I mean, you're, you're beginning to see some academic institutions start to wake up a little bit more yeah. with regard to sales, but uh, number one, traditionally, and it's not just in academia, traditionally in the U S sales has not always been the most highly regarded profession. Right. Like it's, it's been viewed largely as a necessary evil in business. Right. And I, and I think that's changing a lot. And I think it has in, in my lifetime. I think you and I are probably close to the same age. I'm 42. I've, I've, yeah. So I've, I've watched it change in my lifetime. Um, so I don't think there's been as much focus on it because it wasn't as well respected. That's, that's the first thing. Right. The second one, though, is in academia you have to be certain, like certainty is the point of science, right? Like you want to be certain about it. You want to be predictive with what you're finding. Um, when I wrote my dissertation, my dissertation's 70 something pages, and then another 15 pages of citing references <laughs> to say, see, it's real. It's true. Other people say it too, right? Like that's what you're doing. Um, and that doesn't work in sales. You know, we've, we've talked about this uh, the the talk track you used last year, the subject line you lose you used last year, everybody's using it now. It does not work, right? Like sales is constantly changing, constantly evolving. It's almost like um, fashion or music in that way, right? There's like a zeitgeist that's happening in the market, and you have to figure out how to be at the front of that zeitgeist in order to get people's attention, or you just get lost with everybody else. And that's the opposite of certainty, right? Like you, you're constantly basically on the edge of the market if you're doing it right to figure out what works and move forward, right? And figuring out what works is the last piece because uh, when you're training somebody, the best you can do is give them a systematic way for them to figure out what works because what works is going to vary from situation to situation. I, I end up with this debate a lot uh, where there, there are people who are in sales. There are people, some of them who are in sales enablement, who want to give talk tracks to people. They want to tell people, here is what you say. Here is what you do, right? Uh, and I think there's some value in that. There's some value in that when somebody's first getting started. Like if you've got a 24-year-old SDR, their last job was a waiter, you know, or like a bartender, or they were a valet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you might need to tell them what to say for a minute, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then at some point, they need to learn to figure out what to say. They need to internalize that way of thinking, right? They need to actually get smarter <laughs> as opposed to just being able to like go through the motions. Mm -hmm. And um, that's hard. It's hard to teach people to be smarter. It takes, it takes reinforcement over time to make that happen. And that's not just a sales trainer who's going to do that. You can lay the foundation and provide approaches to doing it, systematic approaches, ideally. Um, but you're going to have to have either that trainer reinforce it over and over again, or more commonly, you have to have managers who are bought in to that approach, because those are the people who are going to reinforce that over and over and over again on a daily basis to change behaviors. Uh, and I think you're, I mean, I, I love it. The, the question I have is how do you, can you, so again, we had this conversation. I think you and I are aligned on this as far as, you know, I talk about catching your sales groove, right. And, and, and where you wake up one day, 
uh, as a sales rep and you just, it all, it just clicks, you know, you, you, you stop trying so hard. Um, you know, and, and, and I use Tommy boy as the example, right? Helen, you look like a Helen. Let me tell you why I suck as a sales rep. And when he does that, you know, he, he, he lets, he lets his inhibitions down, you know, he's got confidence in him. He's, he's self-deprecating. Right. And the woman's like, wow, you're sick. And, you know, I'll go fire up those wings for you. And, and in that moment, he caught his sales groove, right? Because before that, he was trying way too hard. He was trying to be like his dad, right? You stick your head up a butcher's ass, but no, that's not how you do it, <laughs> right? So, so, so in that moment, and, and I always wonder, like, as a, as a trainer, as an enabler, as, a, as, as somebody who is trying to educate people and help people skip a few steps, right? That's why I always say, it's like, look, my goal isn't to teach you exactly what to do and how to do it. My goal is to give you, share, share with you some experiences I've had over the 23 years of selling here. So hopefully you can skip a few steps, but you're still going to get, you, you still need to get your punched in the face. You still need to get hit, right? <laughs> and, and learn how to deal with it. So how can we... I want to talk about us on the leadership and enablement side, and then I want to talk about a rep side of the house. How can we expedite that 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 groove, if you will, that when it when it clicks? Is there is there anything that we can do to help expedite that process? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a few things. Number one, I think is is to have. Uh, well, God, I hate to say it. I think you kind of have to break down the reps yourself a little bit, right? Because because people tend to get this idea that. Um, I did the same thing when I first got into sales too, where this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is what I'm supposed to say. And this is how I'm supposed to be because I watched somebody else do what they do naturally. And that's all you've got to go on. Right. Like I, I, uh, I like to write. And when you're, you know, in college, I wanted to be a writer when I was in college. And then I realized, um, so I, that's probably a terrible path for me. I was an artist. My first was okay. Okay, yeah. Never mind. So you, you probably like emulated artists. I emulated certain writers. I tried to write like stupidly like Sartre. Like if you're going to write like somebody, try to write like somebody who sold a lot of books, right? right. Um, but you try to emulate other people, and it's the same thing in sales. People either have an idea of what sales is because they watch the freaking boiler room, which is exactly doing it wrong, right? right. Or they watched other people who do it and think, I'm going to do it like them. Well, you're not going to do it like them. You're going to do it like you. You have to do it like you, right? And so getting them to give up, because that's what happens in Tommy Boy. He gave up. He gave up on trying to be his dad, right? Getting them to give up on being whoever that person is in their head is a big part of it. And I, I like to use role playing for that. Like I'll, I'll role play, especially with our SDRs. I do it with our, our, um, our closers as well. Uh, but especially like on cold calls where it's like the ring ring and you've got to earn your way to the next stage of the call. And I just do what I normally do. Like, especially when I was at IBM where I'd be like, I'm, I'm on my way to a meeting. Sorry, I don't have time. Click. You know, like yep. if I don't have time, I don't have time. Like you've got to figure out how to get my attention and move to the next stage. And I think role playing helps a lot because it's an at bat and at bats is ultimately what's going to do it for everybody. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my, so Jeff Hoffman, right? The MJ Hoffman, he comes, uh, he started Basho and he's mm-hmm. a mentor of mine and everything. And I had, I had a conversation with him and he's like, sales is like one of the only professions that, you know, we, we don't, we don't really practice all that much in the sense that we practice on the job, but it's almost like a, you know, osmosis in the sense that we just kind of go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden, you know, I remember for me, as far as an education is concerned and evolving, I wouldn't practice. I would just go in real world situations and I would say something. And, you know, if I said something stupid, if I asked a dumb question to a CEO, (laughs) the CEO would look and say, well, that's a dumb question. And I would go, (laughs) 
okay, well, I guess I won't ask that again. You know what I mean? And and it's it's rare that we take the time to learn practice consciously, right? To say, yeah. you know what? No, this is, uh, and this is why I recommend everybody, um, you know, at least once a week, block off an hour to learn something new, to try something new, and, and maybe have a focal point that week of something you're going to consciously try, right? I used to do this with my team where everybody would have a notebook um, next to their desk and we would, every week we would pick something that we would want to work on as a group, right? So like an objection or, uh, you know, uh, getting through gatekeepers or whatever it is. And we'd come up with the approach uh, like that we thought was good, right? We'd Google it and like best way to handle gatekeepers or something like that. And we'd write down at the top of the paper, um, uh, challenge equals gatekeepers, approach equals whatever that approach is. Then we'd role play it a little bit to kind of knock the dust off. And then that week, no matter what happened, every time that thing came up, so whatever you were doing, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. But whenever that thing happened, you had to use that approach, right? So you had to consciously be like, okay, nope. Okay. Gatekeeper, boom, I'm using that. And then it was a plus minus. It worked. It didn't work. It worked. It didn't work. And, and then I would collect that information and add it all up and say, all right, it either worked or it didn't work, right? But it was my way of trying to force the reps into consciously practicing something as opposed to just doing. I, I love that. I mean, and that's, that's what a lot of it comes down to. If you're not doing something on purpose, if you're not being intentional about what you're doing, you can't get better at it because you're doing something different. There's just, it's, it's, it's variability. There's, there's like limitless variability in that situation. And when you're in sales, uh, it's like tennis, right? Like you can only control how you hit the ball. You can't control how the person on the other side hits the ball. You can only control how you hit the ball. So if you're not intentional about how you you hit the ball, you have no control over anything in that process, right? Um, so you have to do something intentional and you have to intentionally test as well, right? If you don't, I learned that when I was helping marketers, right? At some point I'd worked with several thousand marketers over the course of eight years. Mm -hmm. And the ones who were consistently performing were the ones who were constantly testing, but they had a baseline. They knew what worked for them, right? And they could be intentional with the way they tested. It's the same thing in sales at both the organizational and individual level. It's the same thing. And because and, uh, I, I love that because it, it kind of leads to the same, you know, now the rep side of the house, what can reps do to, to, to expedite their, um, uh, their education, their evolving into sales and, and, and that groove, if you will, that intentional piece, right? I think, um, you know, Morgan, who, who's now about two years with me, well, coming up on two years, a year and a half, um, he, you know, he, he did great, right? He, he was an SDR and an SDR manager. And when he came on board, I stuffed a lot of stuff down his throat, right? Um, and, and we came up with cadences. We came up with messaging based on personas and all this other stuff. And you know what? He came out of the gate pretty strong. And, but then his, his, his results just kind of plateaued. And, and he came to me and he said, John, you know, I'm a little worried that, you know, I'm not getting the results that I would expect to get based on the work that we've put in from a messaging standpoint and all that other stuff. And I said, Morgan, I go, I'll tell you one thing, man, your results aren't going to change all that much. Um, I know why they've plateaued and they're not going to change all that much until something happens. And he's like, well, what, what? I go, until you start giving a shit. (laughs) And I said that very specifically. And, and look, I said, look, I understand you give a shit about working here. I understand you give a shit about your job. I understand all that stuff. But you, but until you genuinely start giving a shit and are intentional 
about when you go to a website and looking for things and making connections with people. And when you go on somebody's LinkedIn page, you're not just looking for triggers. Like I try to raise the tide for reps who are just blasting out template emails. My training, my goal is to wake them up a little bit and show them, hey, look, do a little bit of homework and your results will increase pretty significantly. And and so the kind of baby step there is pick like five triggers that 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 uh, you can look for on a website and you can make a connection to. So merger and acquisition, open up a new office, launch a new product, whatever, right? And then you could craft messaging and connect the dots. And so it's like, great, okay, cool. There's a merger and acquisition. Here's my merger and acquisition messaging. Let's put it together, let's send. That will absolutely get you better results than blasting out a template emails to a million people. But it will only get you so far. Until you start looking at that website or reading that article or looking at that um LinkedIn profile with intent to be like, you know what, I, I like, let me really genuinely search for something here where I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. That's when you're, you know, go to the next level. So how do you as a sales rep, because like, I, you can't teach drive, you can't teach passion, you can't teach people how to give a shit. So how do you start giving a shit? How do you like... <laughs> the, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I, it's something I've always struggled with because... I can't teach you how to get up and, and want to be successful. So how how do reps who are kind of sitting there going through the motions, maybe not working at a company like SalesLoft where they're super passionate about it, and in lieu of going and finding another job, how do you figure that out? So um, it's hard to figure out. It's hard to create, right. to be honest with you, right? Like there, when, when, when I hire, uh, I look for, in fact, I have like my own little model of sales confidence, right? The bottom of the model of sales confidence is sales skills. And those mm-hmm. are, you know, asking good questions, doing good discovery, pushing, yeah. challenging, like all the stuff you think about with sales skills. Uh, on top of that, it's market knowledge. On, on top of that, it's product knowledge. And at the very top is organizational knowledge. Now, you know, it's in order of most fundamental to least fundamental. The organizational knowledge is the least fundamental. Mm-hmm. In sales skills, there are some things that, that are just characteristics that you have to hire for in my opinion, right? You've, you've got to hire for uh, empathy. So people who are capable of perceiving how someone else is experiencing a situation and adjust accordingly. And that doesn't always mean to make it easier for them. Sometimes that means to make them feel more uncomfortable, right? Yep. Um, you have to hire for resilience because the best salespeople in the world win 30% of the time. They get told no 70% of the time. And that's a hard combination of skills to, to hire for because to get rejected all the time and to be high empathy and really feel it <laughs> and yeah. still do it, it's, it's a hard combination to find. And if you have just those two, you can be a good salesperson. But if you want to be a great salesperson, you need number three, which is curiosity. You have to want to know shit just because you want to know. And I can't tell you how many times that has served me well as a salesperson. Well, I'll be asking questions. Really, it's always the same conversation no matter what you sell. How do you make money? How can I help you make more money? Right? You don't, the second one, you don't explicitly ask, right? Because that's your job to figure out. But that's what you're thinking the whole time. How can I help you make more money? And as soon as you realize that that is really your job as a salesperson, as soon as you realize that, everything for me at least started to click much, much more quickly. And that's what I try to train our reps on. You are a business person who is talking to another business person. And you're trying to create a situation in which you both benefit. That means you have value, they have value, you're both accountable, right? But your job is to go in there and help them figure out how to make more money. And if you actually view things through that lens, it makes things a lot easier, in my opinion. But if you're not, if you're not naturally curious, if you're not naturally empathetic, if you're not... Um, naturally resilient. Theoretically, you can teach those things, but 
it's kind of like teaching somebody how to kiss. Like if you date somebody and you don't like the way they kiss, it's probably better just to break up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you got to hire for some of those things, to be honest with you. No, I couldn't. I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, Jack Welsh, um, Jiggy Jack Welsh, he, he, reframed, he reframed my entire mindset on hiring. Um, I worked for him for a couple months to get his online MBA program off the ground. But, but back, you know, shit, when I was 25, 26, he was my business idol. You know, the book Winning is one of my favorite books of all time, business books of all time. And I remember he came to Boston and he goes, uh, and he does his little, you know, Q&A. You know, there's probably a thousand people in this theater. He's doing a Q&A. And I stood up and I, and I said, Jack. And at the time, we were about 50 people. Uh, my, my company was about 50 people. And I said to him, I said, Jack, you talk a lot about passion and drive and all this stuff, different stuff. I go, you know, I, I, I started a company. And look, when we were five people, everybody's obviously like super passionate. 10 people, super passionate. 20 people fired up. You know, 30, 50. And, we're, and I said, we're at 50. And it feels like that 51st person just shows up to do their job. Right. And, and, and I was frustrated because I'm like, and my question was, is how do you instill your passion on somebody else? How do you get them to get, you know, as fired up as you are about your business? And he just looked at me. He's like, you're looking at it all wrong. He's like, you can't teach passion. You can't teach drive. You have to hire for that. He's like, you can teach skill. You can teach, you know, your process. You can teach any of that stuff. You can't teach drive. And so that literally that conversation, as brief as it was, flipped my entire mindset. And one of my first questions when I when I used to interview a lot more was, what are you passionate about? Like genuinely, like, and by the way, I could give a shit what you're passionate about. It's how you describe to me what you're passionate about that I care about. Right. Because if you're like, oh, I really enjoy technology and serving people and making sure that they get the best out of our solution and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? That's what you're passionate about. But if you're like, holy shit, did you see the Bruins on fucking Monday night? Are you out of your mind? Like that first period was the worst period I've ever seen in fucking hockey. But then all of a sudden they came back and Krug's hit on that dude blew my God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If that like even though the Bruins and hockey have literally nothing to do with our conversation but how you describe that tells me every nah, right now my job as a manager is to wrangle that passion and and try to direct some of it over to my business so that you can ex exude that because I always believe this somebody said this to me early in my career that sales is the transfer of enthusiasm it's 100% true as well if you can't get excited about what you're selling why should anybody else right if you can't get excited about helping someone why are you even doing this? There, there are other ways to make money, right? There are ways to make money where you don't have to talk to people, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be excited about it. And if you can't, then do something else because why would you want to live your life that way? I, I, don't, I don't understand why you would want to spend your time talking about something you don't care about, right? Yeah. Um, and the truth is, if you approach sales the right way, you actually can help people over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of fun too. the first time. Cause when you're a sales engineer, you don't have a number, right? When you're a sales engineer, uh, you just basically show up and do demos and pitch and stuff like that. Uh, and when I was doing it, like I, I worked with number one, some incredible sales reps. I didn't know shit about sales when I first became a sales engineer. I knew everything about our product. Right. And I got partnered with a guy, I'll call him out Chad French. Chad French was rockstar sales guy. He was new. Uh, he was really great at sales. He didn't know shit about our product. <laughs> so we were, we were a good partnership and he taught me a lot about sales. And I had a, a few other people who I was partnering with that, that taught me a lot. And it's, it's interesting because you kind of get like a sales MBA if you are in a sales engineering role, because you yeah. get to work with all these different people in all these different situations. And you get to hear what some of them say 
that works and what some of them say that doesn't work. And sometimes it's the same thing. Just the, one person says it differently or they say it in the right context, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a really great way to get educated in sales. But you know, you don't you don't have a number necessarily as a sales engineer. And the first time I got a number, uh, it was I was selling services actually the first time I got a number and it was $800,000 and an $800,000 services number, not software, just on services. And when I first started, our average services deal size was $3,500. Now, now luckily, luckily, my boss had just rolled out some new services offerings that were like 30, 60 grand. So um, I was going to say that chip it away, man. That's a lot of selling. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I was nervous at first, but then the, after I closed my first deal, I was like, I have a business but I don't have to do any of the shitty, boring parts of the business. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just get to do the cool part of the business. This is, this is freaking great. And if you don't realize that as a salesperson, you're making a huge mistake. You get to have a business, but just do the fun part, right? Uh, and that, if you can't get excited about that, I don't know if you can get excited about anything. Yeah, and and so, with, so sales engineer, I think there's a um, misconception out there by a lot of sales professionals that I'd, I'd like to dive in a little bit with you here, which is product knowledge, right? Being the, the, so there's one thing about, you know, everybody here, thought leader and industry expert. And look, at the end of the day, if you can rise to that level where after whatever, Malcolm, you know, 10,000 hours, blah, 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 you are that person. Okay. Um, but do you believe that sales reps, how, how far down the product knowledge map does a sales rep, ha, uh, should a sales rep go to, to be effective, to be, to be successful, right? Because there's a reason sales engineers are sales engineers. They're not sales reps, right? Because yeah. I always kind of joke, I, I was one sales guy within 50 engineers, okay? I, would, I had no, when I was selling outsourced IT services, I had no fucking idea what computers did, what a firewall did. I mean, I learned it through osmosis and talking to these guys, but I would always bring a sales engineer. And it always struck me that they were fantastic in front of clients, but if I didn't control them, they would outsell themselves because they would educate so much because that's what engineers do. An engineer's mindset is fixing problems, right? So if you as a customer are sitting in front of me and you have a problem, I'm going to talk to you about it, right? I'm going to talk to you about it and, and try to fix that. Um, so my job as a sales sales rep was to basically say, shut up. This is where the customer has to pay for that, okay? So do you, is, is there a kind of a sweet spot, if you will, of product knowledge that makes you effective but not overly like, oh, my God, because and, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but there's one more thing about product knowledge with onboarding, too which is I think the mistake that a lot of companies do is they stuff so much product knowledge down somebody's throat, a sales rep's throat, that when they get out into the real world and they unleash them on their territory, if that's the only thing I have, then that's the only thing I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you everything about my product because that's what I just got my badge for. So where's the sweet spot and how do you drip that out as far as product knowledge to get a rep to be successful without being too overly knowledgeable so that they outsell themselves? Yeah. So a few things there. Uh, number one, the, the last statement you made around uh, being overly focused on product training and enablement is really common. And it's a problem, right? You mm-hmm. give a rep a knife, they'll use a knife. You give a rep a sword, they'll use a sword. Give a rep a gun, they'll use a gun. Whatever you arm yeah. them with is what they're going to use. And, yeah. and truth is, a lot of times feature selling is the easiest point of entry, right? Yeah. Everything else in sales is uh, intangible. Mm-hmm. right? It's, it's somewhat ambiguous. Um, and the product's not. 
So they'll just gravitate to that over and over and over again, right? So I think when we do our onboarding, uh, I actually align our onboarding with that pyramid I was just talking about, the the sales confidence model. I don't give a shit how much you know about the product until you know why someone would need the product and how they would use the product and who those people are and what their challenges are and um, what they think about when they get up in the morning. We sell the sales ops a lot of times, right? And uh, the the somewhat inappropriate analogy I'll make is Scooby-Doo, right? Because <laughs> in Scooby-Doo, like uh, in every episode, you know, Shaggy and Scooby go off to get high yeah. and um, Fred and Daphne go off to make out, right? And <laughs> then Velma solves every freaking mystery by herself, right? <laughs> and that's sales ops. Like there's no glory in sales ops. Nobody's ever like, yeah, you sure did unify the shit out of that data. You know, like nobody ever says that. There's just somebody sitting sitting back, holding things down, doing all the work. That's it. But I want our reps to be thinking like in those terms. These are the, these are the people you're selling to. They have real problems. They have like this real emotional state. And when you talk to them, you need to understand that state, right? Um, so I, I care more about market knowledge than I do about product knowledge initially. But uh, the sweet spot for the right amount of product knowledge is as much as possible. And I say this because you want to have a business conversation. And I learned this after I've been a sales engineer for a year or so, <clears throat> that the best way for me to answer product questions was not to show it. Was for me to answer the questions and then turn the conversation back to a business conversation. But the more you know about the product, the more specifically you can talk about how to affect their business and how how much more confidently you can answer their questions. And when you've really hit hit your stride from a product perspective, is when somebody says, "Hey." can you do this? And you're like, no, we don't do it that way. And I I very rarely want to tell reps exactly what to say, but I will tell them this. The way to answer that question is, no, we don't do it that way. What do you hope to accomplish? And the reason is usually when people ask a question that's really specific about your product, it's because one of two things has happened. Number one, a competitor told them to ask it that way, right? Or number two, um, they've got an existing business process where that's how they do it. Right. And that doesn't mean there could be six other ways that are better than the way that they do it, that they could do it with your product. But when you're confident enough to not apologize for your product, when you, when you realize there's so much value in what your product can do, that if it doesn't do one or two things, it's fine. Right. No, we don't do it that way. What do you want to accomplish? That's when you know you fit your sweet spot. So the more you know about the product, the better, but it's so you don't have to talk about the product. Right. So you can talk about the business outcomes. Yeah, I think that, that, so that's an interesting, I like that take on that because I always said like, you need to know enough to bring the smart kids in um, to answer those questions or whatever it is. But I like the idea of knowing enough to not have to use a slide deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. To to ebb and flow with the conversation and stop the conversation at a certain point when you see things are going off the rails or they're not looking at it the right way or, or they're not the right fit. I think that's, that's kind of, for me, you know, it, it happened a while ago where instead of qualifying people, right. And searching for qualification criteria, I stopped actually doing that. And I started, I started disqualifying people more. (laughs) I I actually started searching for the reasons why they shouldn't do business with me because I got so sick of those things coming up anyways, that I was like, fuck it. I'm going to find them anyways. Like, Oh, you do it that way. Oh, then we're probably not a good fit for you. Oh, you do it that way. Well, why do you do it that way? That's interesting. Cause we do it this way. Why? You know I mean? And I'd be like, all right, never mind. And oddly enough, that's when things like 
absolutely shifted for me from a confidence standpoint and from a result standpoint. Because when I really, I always say this is why prospecting to me is the most important thing that you can do as a sales professional. I don't care what role you're in, AE, CSM, doesn't matter constantly going out there and looking for opportunities because the, there's one, there's one thing and I'll, and I'll tell you, and then we'll finish up here, but there's one thing that I found that instills confidence in a lot of reps. It's when they don't need the business. Mm-hmm. It's when they want it. Mm-hmm. Right. If I want your business, it's a much different conversation than if I need your business. And that's why prospecting to me, because a big fat pipeline solves all problems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, negotiations, discounting, all that stuff. Like I straight up don't discount anymore because I don't have to. It's like, look, I'm booked out through August at this point. You know what I mean? Like this, I know this the price. price. This is the price. Exactly. And, and, and Morgan, you're, I'm, it's fun because I'm watching him do that right now because he's now done enough trainings when I going back to that give a shit thing. Right. And this is where I, you know, and I, one more dive a little bit deeper into this for you. You know, one of the things I do is before you get out there in the world of selling, you have to go talk to my customers. Like if you hire, if, if I hire you, first things first is interview everybody in the company and ask and, and set it up like a sales meeting, do some research on them, find time on their calendar. I do the same thing as you. Like I act as a customer of theirs and they have to get on my calendar and I, I say, no, I'm too busy. I cancel meetings and I see how they are going to react. And then they have to interview me just like they would interview a customer and then do a little book report on why everybody loves working for this company, right? So that's step one is to believe in the business. Step two is now go talk to customers and interview customers. And to your point, I, you know, not necessarily, I'd love to like be like a, a week in their shoes in the sense of, of like figure out a way to put the, the sales rep a week in that customer's job so that they can experience what that customer experienced. But in lieu of that interview, because that belief is what's going to get you to be successful, right? Yeah. That belief is what's going to get you to catch that groove a lot faster. And so, you know, is there, is there anything, the kind of final thoughts here that, that you can re- recommend organizations do kind of in, in, to your point, in a framework, in a systematic way, you said something earlier about scaffolding um, that, that can put some structure in place to, to get reps to blossom, to get reps to um, believe in what they're doing and be successful there sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, uh, part of it is, is what you just said, which is working with customers, like learning customer stories. When, when I was at Silverpot, my boss was a guy named Drew Pronte. And when he came on board, I mean, I'd been there for years and he came on board and within a month, he knew about as much as I did from a customer perspective. And it's because he went through every day and read a case study. We had a nice big fat library of case studies. He went through every day and read a case study and just saw like, these are the actual results our customers are getting, right? And, and it's, it's just intensely valuable. The more you can read about how you're impacting customers, the more you can talk to your customers and see like the real results they're getting, uh, the more confident you're going to be going out and telling those stories. And that's the second part is having those stories. When you first start as a rep, you don't have your own stories. You know, at some point, if you've been selling for a year or two years or three years, you've got stories where you've watched, you've literally watched customers you've sold transform their business, right? You've watched them be successful. And now that's your story too, because you played a part in that. And you can pull that out of your back pocket and use it informally during the sales process. It's not like, okay, I'm going to line this up and then I'm going to tell this story and then I'm going to tell this story. It's just like you and I are talking, something comes up and you throw the story out. Um, So when you first start as a rep, you got to get some stories. You got to read some case studies. You've got to 
if you've got if you've got sales loft and you can use meeting intelligence, or you've got Gong, or you've got Chorus, like watch those videos, watch those meetings. You're going to learn so much by doing that. You'll learn the the the, the challenges your customers have. You'll learn the objections they have. You'll learn um, how how people deal with that, and you'll learn the successes as well. Like the more you learn that, the more you have stories that you begin to internalize the more successful you're going to be because you'll realize this is actually what you're doing. Uh, sales, you can make a lot of money. Um, I, don't, I don't want to say sales is a service, a service profession. It's not, but there is a service element to it if you do it the right way, right? Mm-hmm. Because people have real problems. And if you work for a decent company with a decent product, you can fix those problems. You can make somebody's life better. And the more you focus on that, the more you realize the rest of it kind of flows. Now it's not all puppy dogs and rainbows, right? No. Like you still have to control the deal cycle. You have still have to push it towards something. You still have to hold your rep accountable. Sorry, your customer accountable, right? For the, for the, the whole conversation, but it changes your mindset a lot. And, and to your point, you have a lot more power in that situation, right? You realize like we're doing something together. I, as a salesperson, you're asking somebody to dance, right? They might not want to dance with you, but if they do, you're dancing. Go dance, yeah. right? Yeah. Do the thing. Yeah, make it a fun one. And, and, and it's uh, <laughs> customer success. I, I think it's funny because I think the the similarities between sales and customer success, it's almost the exact same role if you just take the word and the perception, not the reality, the perception of sales out of the equation. Yeah, I agree with you. Boiler Room, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? That type of stuff. Worst sales movies I've ever seen in my life because they depict sales in all the wrong ways. Great movies, fun movies, worst sales movies. Tommy Boy, best movie. Um, but but if you think about that, you know, I'll go in and I'll do a training for a sales team and they'll put customer success in there, right? They'll put like three or four customer because, hey, why not, right? Because I say fill up the room with as many people as you want. Um, and inevitably, we'll walk out of that and the, and, and the sales will be like, oh, that was awesome. And the customer success will be like, oh, that was really good. I just wish it was a little bit more customer success oriented. Now, fast forward, I do a separate session for just customer success. And I take the word sales out of my (laughs) and I do the exact same presentation training. And the customer success walks out going, holy shit, that was the best thing I've ever, that was exactly (laughs) what I needed. You know what I mean? And it's just, and and I'm and you're starting to see a lot of customer success people obviously need to cross sell upsell so they're turning they're they're being forced to turn into sales but they think it's this dirty word and I just beg people out there to take the perception that they have of sales off of like out of the equation and put the reality in it and realize that you to your point Sean we're help, we're sitting there helping people man at the end of the day I don't sell people shit I help solve your problems or or help you achieve your goals that's it and if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough why are we talking yeah that's it right there so Awesome, man. Well, I, like I always say, I, I probably could have this conversation with you for a while here. We could go. I, I am so interested in your education background and the PhD shit, but, uh, but we only have so much time here. Um, so, Sean, talk to me a little bit about um, how people, like what Sales Loft up to these days? How can people find out more information about what you, I know, I know from an onboarding standpoint, you're always looking to hire. So where can people find out more information? Yeah, I mean, go to the, go to the Sales Loft uh, website, number one, right? Just look and see what we're doing. If, if you're interested in working at Sales Loft, we've got a always a pretty big active careers page. Uh, it takes a few interviews to get in because yep. we're pretty selective about who we hire. But if you're the type of person who wants to work at sales Loft, you should probably value that. 
right? Yeah. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com, whatever it is, slash KS Fowler. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N. I work with a bunch of other Sean's. They all spell it the wrong way. I'm the only person <laughs> who sells it, spells it the right way. Um, yeah, and then come check out, check out our blog. Check us out on LinkedIn. Those are the best ways to do it. Awesome. Anything got you fired up right now that you're working on, like specifically? Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it, All right, but, um, I'm, I'm working on a new approach to, uh, our enterprise sales motion and specifically a way to learn more about our customer's business and how to provide more value upfront during the sales Ooh. process. And in, in the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the value I think it'll bring to our customers, because especially in the enterprise, it's a very educational process still right. for sales. Uh, Absolutely. so helping them see the value. Uh, I'm also really excited because it gives me a chance to be more involved in deals. And that's the hardest thing about going from being a rep to either being in management or being an enablement is like one minute you're, you're Tony Gonzalez, who's, who's better than Gronk and Edelman, by the way. I'll be it, um, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> but one minute you're Tony Gonzalez catching passes for first downs and touchdowns, and the next minute you're a coach in the sidelines. And it's, yeah. it's really hard to get used to that. So any chance I get to get in front of customers – and, uh, and be part of sales cycles. I absolutely love. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the, I, I have a good idea of where sales loft is headed with a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing. I'm really interested in what you're working on. Uh, so, so I can gain more insights there. But, uh, like I said, man, if anybody's out there looking for an incredible company to buy into a vision and, and, and go to that next level of their career, highly recommend checking out sales loft. If it's a, from a technology standpoint, it's the, it's one of the only ones that we tend to recommend. Um, and we use ourselves. So you guys have got something special going on over there. Tell Kyle, I said hi and the whole team. Um, and, uh, just like every, always people, hopefully you enjoyed this, got some value out of it. And, uh, if you do nothing else today, if you go make somebody smile, you know, you had a good day. So go make somebody smile today and, uh, you know, let's, uh, make this world a little bit of a better place. So thanks again, Sean. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Take care. Absolutely. All right, everybody make it a great day. Cheers. Bye.